There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Fangirl Zone. I'm Sean Fangirl S and today we're talking Handmade Sale. So as you know, my awesome co-host who's been with me on this journey, Miss Jennifer. Hi everybody. We are on number eight. Oh my gosh. Jezebel's. It's so crazy because this was a whole different thing. It, I was not expecting this at all. This was the episode where I was like, what? <laughs> all right, so let me give you a little synopsis. We have the commander surprising Offred with a secret adventure in Gilead, and Nick's troubled past leads to his recruitment by the Sons of Jacob. Yeah, so uh, we finally get Nick's backstory here. Yes, which is not in the book, by the way. Oh, really? Nope. Yeah. But Jezebel's is in the book. Oh, okay. So it opens up, though, with, you know, Offred thinking about Luke and lamenting. But as she is in Nick's, I wouldn't say house, but room. Yeah, his, his apartment above the garage. They had obviously just had sex, or recently she's still naked. She's kind of wrapped in in a blanket and she's just thinking I should have done more I should have memorized his yeah. face he's alive he's alive but he's fading yeah. now I want to memorize everything about Nick yeah and so okay I wonder this is this is the episode this, that made me think okay we know Luke's alive Luke knows that June's alive June has told him focus on Hannah can there ever be a Luke June reunion I don't know I honestly just, don't know. It's so complicated. Well, living in this kind of servitude that she's been in and, and the indoctrination that she's mm-hmm. had to go through. And she and Nick are kind of like survival victims clinging together. Yes. That I don't know if they'd ever be able to go back to any kind of normal... Like, how do you go back to your husband after being raped by, I don't know, at this point... The first time she had sex with Nick wasn't exactly consensual. It's because Serena made her do it. And then we know the commander she's with now, and then she had another posting before. So this, you know, at least three times, three different men who have raped her, not times, but men. But now, you know, she is having consensual sex with Nick. And she says, I I wish I were in a different story that showed me in a better light. Right. So she doesn't feel exactly good about herself, but at the same time, she's like, mm, sorry, not sorry, I'm doing this to survive. Yeah, I, I don't know, because it's funny, as I was watching and kind of looking at the Twitter feed for maids, that a lot of people kind of said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, could they ever have a normal life together? Would she want to go back, or is she... Like, okay, if he saves Hannah, then I will deal with whatever comes to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's really questionable. Yeah, especially if she is to get pregnant, then right. what happens? Right, because even though Luke's going to be supportive 
it's kind of one of those things knowing that, okay, this isn't your child. Would you be able to be okay raising the child? You know, if exactly. she's to get pregnant. It is, it is June's biological child. It just would not be his right. biological child. So. And then once he she, actually gets all the gory details of what happened. Yeah, and how this child came into being because he's, for all we know, Luke is in the darkest to what's exactly happening to them. And we see June thinking or or hear her thinking, you know, I don't want to be alone. And, you know, and basically screw it. It feels good. And then plus, <laughs> like you were just saying, Luke doesn't know. I mean, look at how it was in the beginning. Moira and June both thought it's going to be artificial insemination. Yeah. Yeah. And they Maybe were that's what Luke's thinking. Yeah, exactly. And he has no idea that they're actually going through this sick ceremony. And I'm doing air quotes here. Mm -hmm. I just and and we okay so in Nick's flashback we we learned that back in the days before Gilead um, it was hard to be employed and it was hard particularly for him to stay employed uh, and society only cares about profit and pleasure um, and that uh, the one guy that he meets that recruits him into the sons of Jacob which they have in thirty states we find out yeah he's that God has turned his back on us because we care about profit and pleasure. And it's kind of funny, too, because that I don't even remember getting that man's name. He's one of the no, commanders. Yeah, he's one of the commanders. Um, but, yeah, he... But he, he takes Nick to get coffee after there was a whole kind of back and forth with another unemployed person at the yep. Helping uh, Hand yep. Center. Yep. And, you know... Even, you know, Nick's telling about, you know, the, oh, crap, the factory shut down, his dad lost his job, his brother was kind of scamming for a while, and he needs something in Ann Arbor, so we find out he's from Michigan. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll do anything. And, you know, the commander who, because I don't know his name, that's all I'm going to call him. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, because, you know, idle hands, like they say in the good book. And Nick's like, they don't even have that. That's not in the Bible. Yeah. He Which just I thought was the... interesting. So he yeah. knows the Bible. Yeah. And so we also in Nick's flashbacks, we get where they're they're kind of talking about the the one guy who's recruiting Nick in basically says that he believes all remaining fertile women need to be impregnated by superior men. We just need to round them all up and knock them up, basically. Wait, no, he wasn't the one that had said superior men, though. I thought that was uh, the other guy. Oh, the other guy, yeah. Yes, they there is like, another commander who they do name, yeah, and I don't have that name. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't get either of their names, but they're, you know, these basic, you know, white guys. Right, because Nick's driving Older. the limo, Waterford's in there, the guy yep. who recruited him, and then the third guy who, oh my gosh, I feel horrible not knowing this name. But the third guy is the one who's kind of being a jackass about it. You know, they're yeah. like, we need to have all the women, which at this point, um, oh God, and I, I loathe to say this, but it makes some sense because if the population's failing, you, you're going to have to do something, which yeah. I get that. I'm not <laughs> saying I don't, but, but these uh, guys are doing it in you know a way, of course, that is very unsavory. Yes, and the most chauvinistic, taking away powerful power from women away, um, just like in Serena Joy's flashback episode where it could have gone a different direction where, you know, fertility is a commodity and these women could actually hold positions of power and be and choose to be surrogates. Right. 
Um, but that's not how it went. And basically, they're in the back of the this limo, and they're talking about, well, they'll need the support of the wives, and and they decide to to make well, there's there's scriptural precedence for this. Right. Oh, it's chaotic um, three. Sorry, I looked that up finally. Okay. And um, how he's we, just like, oh, we'll just do it. And he's the one who's so yeah, stuck with we'll, the superior oh, men. Yes, and you know, Jacob. We'll use the the passage where you know Jacob's wife gives him uh, him the handmaid. You know, let me have children or else I die. And we'll we'll make it a ceremony. We'll make everything nice and neat. You know, women like ceremonies, right? And you know, so they feel like they're involved and they're a part of this. And 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 that is how they decided to get the wives buy-in. And apparently, it worked. But it and I'm a little so disturbed. Interesting. Because Waterford's like, we can't call it an act, not from a PR standpoint. No, no, no. Yeah. And what? it seems like Waterford is more of the the guy who was the brander, the brander, the marketer, the communicator, the one who was convincing everybody who was this was a good idea kind of guy. Right. And that was just, it really disturbed me. Because like I said, Guthrie was being just kind of an ass about it. Mm-hmm. With, oh, yeah. I mean... Who cares what the wives think? We have to do that. And the rest of them were like, uh, listen. Oh, and I we'll that. The one guy's name is Price, by the way. The one that okay. recruited him. Uh, because he's even like, you're talking about concubines. And he's like, who cares what we call them? And basically yeah. it's like, all right, listen. You need, this is what I'm looking at it going, okay, you have the true believers, which mm-hmm. at this point I'm seeing Price as a true believer. Yep. And Waterford, who's kind of on the fence. And Guthrie's yep. who like, who cares? We're in power. We can do what we want. Yeah. We can just do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. And it was just really disturbing to see that. And it's funny because as we watch that, and I, I happened to just watch that with my husband, he's like, that's everywhere. You well, yeah. That exists right there in within society. The mm-hmm. that, that exists in today's society. Men who think like that. And it's scary. Right. <laughs> and you just want to slap them. I'm sorry. Yeah, and they all seem to be older guys. Waterford seemed to be the youngest among them. Yes, yeah. And that's just maybe because he's got Serena Joy. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, and he's got Serena Joy who kind of wrote the book on, you know, domestic feminism and, you know, how to, you know, squash the wives into submission, basically. Um, He he enjoys this... um, position of power because of that and it almost seems like he's the mouthpiece to the masses whereas the other commanders are doing things silently behind they're they're the men behind the curtain okay is kind of the feeling that i i get yeah i i can see that now when you see this and and you know they drop them off or nick drops them off you know waterford's like what do you think nick well you know nick's like oh yeah it's probably better not to have attachments which, of course, then when you come back to, like, present day, and you have, you know, Nick and June. Very attached. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, okay. And then later in the episode, he kind of acts distant. So it's like, really, mm-hmm. like, I get that Nick is in this position and realizes he's in this position. He kind of exploits his position, too, because at this point he gains Waterford's trust. And so he's not just driving for anybody after this. He has the trust of Waterford and becomes his driver. That's true. 
And so then we he find out this situation. We find out he becomes an undercover eye. Yes. And Price is telling him, okay, well, this is different because we have the eyes who are uniformed and out there and everybody knows. Mm -hmm. But where we really get the information is from the undercover plainclothes operatives. Yeah, and we think you could be our guy. And he's like, but you, you understand you'd be informing on Waterford. Because we see this as they're taking, he's at, like, I'm assuming, like, eye headquarters or whatever. Because right. you have two eyes bringing Guthrie in. And he's telling him something along the lines of he was having sex with his handmaid and doing something else without it being ceremony. Right. And so basically Guthrie was like, I can do what I want. And then he looked horrified because Guthrie's like, shit, they're taking this seriously. I'm screwed. Uh Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is where we see Nick. And it's like, is Nick a true believer? I don't think that he is. And I think that he used this uprising to his benefit but then felt a little bad about it. And I think uh, Nick is such a puzzle, though, because is he truly affected by things? And is he willing to help the fall of Gilead? Or is he fine with things now because he's employed? He's in a position of power. We just don't really know about Nick. Right. Like all the way through, and, I've been saying, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know if we can trust him or not. But, of course, in this world, can you trust anyone, considering that they're saying, well, you would even be reporting on Waterford. And he's like, like, even if you're in a position of power, you've got to worry about your driver informing on you doing inappropriate things. Which I'm wondering how much the other commanders know about that. Exactly. Like, are you really that stupid? You're like, I'm going to do what I want because I'm in power and nobody's going to turn you in. Yeah. And then we kind of see, you know, with this episode, Jezebel's, where they have this kind of speakeasy club they've created in um, an old hotel. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we have diplomats from other countries who are accustomed to this kind of thing that we have to entertain. And, you know, when you're in power, you know, you kind of bend the rules. Everybody kind of does it, and it's okay. And that was just another thing, like a slap in the face. Yeah. How are you basically condemning these women, saying, Uh how dare you ever do this, and yet you are doing this yourself? Yeah, and then we find out that the women that are in these clubs were the ones who could not assimilate because they were too educated or, you know, what they try to run away or what have you. I have a question for you right here because, and we will back up and explain the skeezy part in a few moments. But Mm -hmm. when he's there, he's like, yes, they were working girls. But then he points to a woman, Mm -hmm. Waterford, and he goes, she was a psychology professor. Professor. And I'm like, yeah, so how, does, what kind of, and again, yeah, in quotes, working girls. I'm thinking working girls are prostitutes, but. Exactly, but then he makes that comment, and he's like, oh, they just had a job. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Then yeah. Like, we have lawyers, we had the professor, there was something else. Because some, some of us like to have intelligent conversation, some of us. If you like that sort of thing. Exactly, and I'm like. Wow. And I think I had that what the fuck face right there because I'm like, are you kidding me? That's why when he said working girls, I wasn't 100%. 
Yeah, I mean, I think some of them probably were prostitutes, um, but I think a lot of them were working professionals who were too educated to do much else. They're like, it would have been risky for them to make them Marthas or aunts because they could have been forming the resistance. And if they were fertile, which I don't think any of the women in Jezebel's are. I mean, maybe there are some. Oh, no, they are. And we'll explain that in a few. Oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. But, I mean, I think because these women, they were afraid that they would create uprisings in whatever caste, and I'm going to use that, that they were put in. That they were put in, yeah. Yeah, whether it be handmaiden as an aunt or as a Martha, um, and they're definitely not suitable to be wives. You know, they're too educated, or, you know, they're never going to, you know, let you, you know, take away their books and things. So, um, yeah, these are kind of the Beauty and the Beast Bell women. Uh And and the the ones that, um, you know, just could not assimilate into the new society. So let's go back because I have to tell you how it was entirely skeezed out here. I would have ended up at Jezebel's. No, they just sent my ass right to the colonies. Like I still. Oh, yeah, in that's there. true. I mean, I would. I don't think I would have put up with Jezebel's either. I'd be in the colonies with you. Okay. <laughs> so after the opening, Alfred goes back to the room, and it's like, is this supposed to be early morning, late night? Because I couldn't quite tell. And then I'm like, I couldn't really tell. But um, the commander meets her in her room, and he's just kind of there. And he says, I thought we could do something different tonight. And she's kind of snarking. She's like, Monopoly? But like, where does he think she's coming from? If it's I, supposed to be night, was she out like, I'm walking around. Fuck this. You know? I don't know where he thinks that she was. I don't think he thinks much of anything. I don't think he's been waiting for her that long. I think maybe he thinks she was attending to, you know, household duties. Not that she has that many. Uh, I don't think he even thinks about her not being there when he okay. goes to her. I was wondering. But then he's like, but we have to do something about your legs first. And it's like, what? <laughs> and this is just, and when I first watched this, this is when I was blowing up poor Jennifer's phone. <laughs> Oh, so this is when he got tame Commander Creepy for me. He's shaving her legs. And this is when we find out, too, only once a month does do the Marthas bring a razor and they wait outside. So she Rita waits outside, yeah. Because they're not to be trusted with a razor for any length of time. Right. Well, he decides he's shaving her leg. And I'm like, watching this going, okay, now this might be an intimate moment (laughs) if you are... With your partner. Yeah, but mm, this... It was just... Mm. It, I was like, ugh. Okay, really? Stop. Stop. Because I was creeping out. And then he's like, doesn't that feel nice? And I'm like, ugh. Doesn't that feel nice? Yeah, <laughs> I was very much doing that Sully, like, fainting as booze possibly being crushed thing because... Uh, yeah, I think... The I faces I was up. making... <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, mm. and so he's like, oh, and you'll also need this. And he hands her makeup and a dress and heels. And I had the dress and the sizes. Right. And and uh, what's that? But when he hands the makeup, he's like, do you remember how to do this? Okay, it's not like it's been, like, she doesn't have a lobotomy and it hasn't been like 20,000 years. It's only been like three years. So, yes, of course, I still know how to slap some lipstick on. Okay, I'm not retarded. I was just like, oh, God, stop. And he's holding the mirror as she's putting on. He's like, beautiful. I'm like, 
I'm creeping yeah. out here. Like, yeah, I, she's like, she's just like, I'm not stupid. I can do this. You probably have to cut out where I said retarded. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, and then with the dress, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have. I had a guess, and the shoes. It's like I'm okay, no, the size. shoes. I can see having to guess the size because lady shoes are not that easy to figure out. <laughs> I'll tell you that. No, and they're not always appropriately sized. Like you can be a nine in one shoe and a ten in another, and an eight and a half in another, and it's just yes, women's sizes are all. Yeah, our stuff doesn't make sense so, basically. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it comes out, and I'm like, all right, well. The dress fits, but it, it didn't even seem like it was something that she would wear in a, in the past. No. Because even she seemed like, oh, God, this is short, you know? Yeah, it's really short, and it's sheer, like, most of the bottom sheer, so it's just enough to cover the hooch, and then it's sheer with kind of beading right. on it. Uh, she's in not the, wearing any undergarments. No, I don't think she I is. Think she could. Her, her undergarments are these big, huge monstrosities of a thing um, that, you know, handmaids wear. But, yeah, it's just she feels kind of naked after having to be so covered up for so long. And I believe in the book it says the shoes are a little big, but, you know, she makes them work. And in the book it's more of like a showgirl outfit that you would have seen like a Vegas girl okay. wear. <laughs> um, and not not like you know it was much worse in the book. It's this purple feathered monstrosity thing. It was even weird because then he's like, oh wait, one more thing, and he's taking her hair down because she had it up in a clip. Yes. And mm-hmm. he kind of like smells her hair, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And we both did that. It was just like, yep. And even <laughs> my husband, as he watches, he looked at me with that ugh face. And I'm like, yeah, don't smell my hair. Okay, don't ever do that. It's just such a creepy thing to do. <sighs> and then <sighs> they go downstairs, and they're like, okay, do you have the passes? And Nick's like, yes. He's like, okay, here, you, you'll you need this. And it is Serena Joy's Serena. cloak. Uh-huh, and it's her winter cloak in the book so that she wouldn't notice that it's missing. And, cause because Serena's yes, at her mother's. Yes, so Nick goes to put it on as Waterford turns around and he kind of like holds her like for that brief second. Mm-hmm. And right here is where I was like, uh oh. And even Jason's like, ooh, he's jealous. Mm-hmm. Nick just looks sick this entire time. The look on his face, he's kind of lost all the color in it. He's even a little sweaty looking. He just looks like he wants to vomit but can't. And we. We don't know what's going on at this point. No, we have no clue. Uh, and then they get past the gateway, and they're like, have a good evening, Mrs. Waterford, Mr. Waterford. And then they get to, you know, a gateway where not even wives are allowed Which is to pass. And this is when she's yeah. like, we must be going into Boston. Yes. So it's like, so she has trap your wives in areas. Yeah. Like, that shows just how unfree they are. Right. Which I was really surprised. But then they go there and they have to sneak her in because she's contraband. In the back, yeah, in the back way. And, you know, they'll just assume that you're a, work, a working girl. But, you know, it's almost like, you know, oh, you know, we do this all the time where we sneak our handmaids in. It's this fun game, blah, 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 is the, the impression that I got. Right. That's what I was getting, too. And then, like, he covers. It's a total power trip. <laughs> yeah, because he even, like, he puts earrings on her but covers the tag. Uh-huh. And I was just like, 
oh, God. And Nick just, like you said, looked sick because he's standing there as they walk off into Jezebel's. Yeah, because he knows what's going to happen because I believe the offered before June, he probably did this with two. That's what I was wondering because we do get a flashback, and I don't know if it's at this moment, but it's to the suicide of the previous offered. Yes. And you hear Rita screaming, and he runs in, and she's hanging from the rafters, and, you know, he cuts her down, and yep. and she's dead. And when they're loading previous offered into the truck, and Serena looks at him and says, what did you think was going to happen? Now, at exactly. this point, I was thinking one of two things. It was either that, okay, they, they did this, bef- Waterford did this before, took her to Jezebel's, played these games with her, or yep. because you're making these women suddenly turn into these broodmares. Yeah. So I, I did not know what was happening. I was kind of torn with that, like which one it could yeah, be. It, it's, it's my assumption that he probably took the other offer there and she, she found out about it somehow. Okay. Um, but we do hear the commander when they first go in and, and June is kind of like, what is this place? And it's basically a sex club speakeasy, um, because I don't think alcohol is really allowed out in the open. Um, and, and you see women in all forms of dress. Yes. And he, and he says these places are officially forbidden, but we're all human, you know, so senior officials, diplomats and, and women who couldn't assimilate or, or who's there. And we've got quite a collection, which right. we already discussed, but, um, yeah, um, <clears throat> Offred is a little freaked out about this. Now in the book, when she is taken to Jezebel's, she recognizes it as the hotel she and Luke used to go to. Oh. And it even has the same curtains, the same bedspreads. Yet it's so different in the new society. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that will really mess you up. But yeah. they go to the bar and she orders a drink. She orders what, a Manhattan? A Manhattan. He's like, ooh, sophisticated. Right. I've been like, I need some bourbon. What do you got? I've been like, just give me an IV drip of Jack Daniels at this point. Hey, whatever you got. <laughs> and she looks around and she sees Moira. Yes, in bunny ears. Oh my gosh! I was like, oh my god. Okay, it's like don't <laughs> don't make it obvious. Don't make it obvious. And she's like, where's the ladies' room? Yeah, but they they do lock eyes, and she knows that Moira is going to expect to meet with her in the ladies' room because she gave her that look. And I remember in the book when she's describing seeing Moira, and she's like, this is something that Moira would never, ever pick for herself. And it's kind of like a Playboy bunny costume in the book, um, more so than what we see on screen. Right, because that would make more sense with the ears. Yeah. Um, So she knows that she's got to meet Moira in the bathroom and that she'll only wait for so long for her and that she's got to get her ass there if she wants to talk to her. Because that's kind of must have been must have been a code that they had for each other, um, either that that day developed in the Red Center, because we do see them going into the bathroom to have talks in the Red Center or, you know, in their previous lives. So (laughs) it was just. Again, you have that that moment that it's just like gonna break your heart because they they meet up in the bathroom and they hug each other and Moira's like, I'm so sorry I left you at the train. I didn't mean to. She's like, You didn't have a choice and they're crying 
And you have mm-hmm. a woman who almost could be an aunt because of what she's wearing. Uh-huh. And she's like, you've already been in here. You know the, the rules. And she's like, yep. come meet me down in the dorms. Yes, and, which are the ballrooms that they've turned into makeshift shift dorms. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, and fix your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we get the nice little... Um, segue where we figure out that Nick has been there before most definitely. He knows one of the Marthas and he's trading items for contraband. Yeah, interesting because a whole lot of meds and and, pregnancy yeah, tests. and and that's why I said obviously if they have pregnancy tests, these women are fertile, some of them. Yeah, and so we find out that he's been sleeping with this particular Martha in the past. Yes, because, you know, he's like Oh, no, because he gives her basil, which I love mm-hmm. basil. She's like, oh, let me make you my pesto that got me a, a James Beard nomination. And he's like, no, yeah, not today. And she's like, oh, okay. And she's like, goes up close and starts grabbing his crotch. And he's like, no, not today. And she's like, all right, whatever. But I was yeah. like, okay, so obviously they had a thing. So it wasn't like you and I had thought earlier that maybe he hadn't had sex in a really long time. Yeah, I mean, clearly a long time. We don't know the last time. Yeah, I mean, he's been getting it on the somewhat regular from at least this one Martha. And he's been there enough that, you know, a lot of people there know him. So how often does the commander go here is kind of what I'm thinking. And clearly, you know, he is trading for contraband and he's able to even get Serena Joy things that she needs. Right, because they get hair dye Uh and a bunch of alcohol. And just this Martha is just interesting because, you know, we don't know anything about her, but she's young. So I'm kind of surprised that she's not in the Red Center. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's infertile. It's just kind of, I don't know, interesting how it all played out. Or because she was, you know, a a chef. Basically, that's how you're going to get that that nomination. Maybe I guess. they're like, okay, well, we need to make sure we have people who are cooking really well here because this is for the dig, you know, dignitaries that are coming around. Yeah, the diplomats and everything. Because I was wondering, I'm like, okay, if she's not fertile and clearly willing to engage in activities like black market and, you know, she seems to be a part of the resistance. Um, and, these are. This is one of those gray areas where, you know, okay, we're bending the rules, so we need people who are willing to bend the rules, but not so far as to rise up against us kind of thing. And oh, just the fact that she's, like, all for, like, all right, let me get all these drugs for these women. And then he, she even tells him, because he's like, what's the ketamine for? Oh, some people have that sleeping beauty fantasy. And some of the girls just give it to the guys to knock them out so they can go yeah. on their phone. So it's like she doesn't care. And no. I, don't like the fact that she's just so blasé about it. Yeah, the Sleeping Beauty comment really made me shudder. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, you know that that happens. Uh huh. Like, ew. I can't. I can't get past that one. That yeah. So, me- yeah. So, meanwhile, the commander's bitching about his boss problems, basically over dinner in the room, and you know he does take Alfred up to the room and. And Offred knows kind of what this means to go up to the room. And like I said in the book, she's like, yeah, it's the same bedspread, it's the same curtains, but it's just such a different world now that it's hardly recognizable. It's familiar, but not. And then you have him say, and you don't have to be quiet here. 
And he basically forces her to have sex with him, and and you just see that tear rolling down her cheek. And you know she's thinking about having been there with Luke. You just, oh, man. See, I didn't know that, so I was just thinking she's quite disgusted because then he goes, because she makes a comment, and he's like, oh, you really do know me. And he's, like, kissing her neck and, like, kissing down her back. And I'm like, you know, I'm just, like, all, like, ew, skeezed out. And then, you know, next thing you know, flash forward slightly, you know, he's asleep in the bed. She gets up to go find Moira. But I, I was like, I have to scrub down. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So she goes down. She finds Moira, and I love it because Moira's like, you look like the horror Babylon. But, like, the second before you see Moira <laughs> trying to take off the shoes and looking like she's in huge pain. Uh-huh. Which, obviously, the shoes aren't fitting right. And she's like, this is government-issued. Yeah, exactly. And as she's sneaking down to see Moira, we see some... Oh, she my hears gosh. Messed up stuff. screwed up shit and, um, yeah, and sees some pretty messed up shit. Like, the nub-licking and the elevator where the woman had her hand cut off and that... That was freaky. Yeah. And that that woman just looks like uh, another one of these weirdos. Uh, yeah. And like we said, makeshift dorms in the ballroom. She does find Mora and her shoes aren't fitting. And she's like, well, when she got caught, she was given a choice between the colonies or Jezebel's. And you've got a few good years before your pussy wears out and there's booze and drugs. <laughs> I was just like, holy crap. Because, I'm like, wow, this is the grim reality. Right. Uh, and then plus, because Moira's, like, explaining, well, she got so far, and that there's Quakers trying to help her escape. Yeah, she was on the female road, the Underground Railroad, where they she was basically being carted from house to house to house to house um, and being hidden. And then she finally got to one house where, you know, they either told on her or they were busted or, you know, what what have you, and she got captured, and they didn't want to put her back in the Red Center because, you know, she had basically uh, used violence against um, an aunt to escape, and so she wasn't even considered going back in the program, and so she ended up at Jezebel's um, and was considered one who could not assimilate. Well, I thought it was interesting, though, too, that they say it's Quakers because they have... I, I believe, and it could be completely off here, that they're very similar to, like, Amish. So they have kind of, like, mm-hmm. um, a, I guess, a more simple way of life. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Quakers are like, okay, this is messed up. Yeah, you know it's messed up. <laughs> like, I, I thought that was interesting that you have these other people who are willing to help, again, you know, mm-hmm. at, at their own peril. And it was just like, seeing all that with her, well, I should say Moira seeing all that. And then Offred's like, we're going to get you out. And she's like, forget about escaping. This is Gilead. Nobody gets out. The only yeah. way out is feet first in a black van. Yeah. And you have... Basically. You have June just like, what the hell is this? She's like, Luke got out. And Moira's face is like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, He's alive. Yep. And you you see that brief glimmer of hope. And then all of a sudden she's like, but he's not us. He He hasn't had to deal with this. Yeah, maybe maybe you know men have a better chance, but for us this is it. We just gotta make the best of it. I was just like, what the hell, Moira? <sighs> and Moira used to be such a force to be reckoned with, and now she's completely broken. It seems. Right, and then you know they hug, and she's like, "I love you," and she's like, "I love you too, bitch, so much." And you see that 
she is broken. Mm-hmm. And it's just so sad because, like you said, her and June were good friends going back. Oh, yeah. Best friends at least since college. And roommates and everything else. And this is... The old Moira is the memory that June was like, all right, I have to get up. I cannot let this happen. Moira wouldn't do this. And then seeing that, you have to think, holy shit. Yeah. It it kind of makes June hopeless in a sense that if they've broken Moira, how soon before I'm broken too? Am I already broken? Have I already accepted my fate? And she starts really to question herself. Um, Now, one thing I will say is that, After the first trip to Jezebel's in the book, June says, I would like to say that I saw Moira again. I'd like to say that I heard that she escaped, but I, to be honest, I never saw her again and I don't know what happened to her. Oh, So it's a deviation from the book, um, in the series, but I like the deviations that they have made because they're adding content Mm -hmm. to things that June didn't know when she was narrating the book. Well, I I do enjoy that this has all happened, but we have a little bit left here, which is a little disturbing too. They get back, they get back and then it's like flash forward to the next day where Serena Mm -hmm. comes home and Nick's bringing in her bags and it's, and so, it's so cold towards her. Like, it's her fault. Well, you know what? Even with Serena. And I was like, ugh. Because Serena comes in, and Waterford's like, how was your trip? She's like, oh, great. How was it here? He's like, lonely. I'm like, ugh. Uh, yeah, creepy. Yes, yeah, because like, we all know it wasn't for him. But, yes, when, you know, Alfred smiles at Nick, and she's like, I'll see you tonight. He's like, we have to stop this. And then... It's too dangerous. Quiet yeah. rage because obviously she can't be screaming with them. And yeah, and she's like, she says she doesn't care if she ends up on the wall because at least someone will remember her. And I'm like, oh my god, Nick, what is wrong with you? And she's like, uh, don't tell me anything about you. And he's like, my name's Nick Blaine from Michigan. And she's, I can't remember exactly what she said because she's like under his eye and something else. Some, and she, something like that. And she walks out. Basically, it was like a big middle finger. Yeah, pretty much. And she's kind of crying, going up the stairs, and Serena's like, Alfred. She's like, and she's like, she turns around like, oh. She has to like try to wipe the tears. Yeah, like she, and the way she has to turn around, it's like in her mind, she's thinking, bitch. (laughs) And then like she turns around, yes, Mrs. Waterford. Like I have a gift for you. It's like what? Uh, okay, and it's the creepiest gift you could possibly get. I just don't know how. Kids jewelry box. It's a music box, and so they treat them like pets or or children. She's like, oh, and here's the key for it. You know, you can't even close your door, but here's a key for the jewelry box. Yeah, yeah. Like, what in the hell is she gonna keep in the jewelry box? So she's Uh, listening to the music because so far we haven't been able to hear any music. Right. So it's like maybe music's forbidden, but she's gonna have this. And so she takes the key, and in the closet, she sketches you, you know, not sketches, etches in, you are not alone. You're not alone. And she's listening to the music. Yeah, and it's basically one of those music boxes, like, you would have had when you were a child that has a little ballerina in it that spins around. And you, you see her looking at the music box, and she's like, I will not dance for them. I, a girl trapped in a box. 
I will not be the girl in the box. And this, I think seeing Moira broken was a defining moment for her where she really had to think, okay, am I broken already? Am I going to break or am I going to choose? No, I will not be the girl in the box. And that's ultimately what she decides. And I'm really happy about that. Yep. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, so, it's like, oh, God, what does this mean? Yeah. So when I got to this episode, I had been thinking, okay, there has to be some kind of underground something because they made mentions of the black market and things like that. And so I was thinking to myself, there must be some kind of brothel, sex club, something like that, because men can be pigs. Mm. <laughs> and then we get confirmation that yes, indeed. And it was funny because I had just listened to this part in in the audiobook right before I watched this episode because I tried to like keep pace and watch, and listen at the same pace as I was watching. And because the book is a little bit ordered differently than the series, um, I would get ahead of myself and, and the TV series and be behind in other ways. But yeah, man, this episode, I just remember thinking, wow. Yeah, this is bad. <laughs> I, uh, I have to agree with you because the whole thing, I was just like, come on, what, what, why, why would you do this? Yeah. Just, and then at, I, at the end, with Nikki, I was kind of saying the same thing. I was like, why would you do this, Nick? What is wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, and he knows it wasn't her choice. He's got to know that she did not choose and that if she were to refuse him, what could happen to her? Right. But, you know, there he is being salty, being jealous. Yeah. So, and we see that he's, he's somewhat invested in June because he refuses sex with the aunt at the, at Jezebel's, so. Uh, yeah, it was just like uh, one of those things like I couldn't get past. And even though he's like trying to make amends by like, my name is Nick. No, screw you. You already pissed me off. I don't care what your full name is. Screw you. You pissed me off. I didn't have a choice in this. And yeah. Oh, so this whole episode kind of had my emotions like from unbelief, if that's an emotion, to... <laughs> to disgust uh-huh. it was just like uh, it's hard it to had the creep factor yeah. so that was Jezebel's so yeah. I don't know how you guys feel shoot us an email let us know exactly how you feel fangirlzonepodcast at gmail.com you can of course find everything over at fangirlzone.com our contacts for Facebook for, for Twitter our Tumblr which I believe I have up there now <laughs> <laughs> and uh and tell us everything what you think and it's really awesome and i meant to tell you weirdly enough i was looking at uh an episode or a magazine one of my ews and there was an interview with margaret atwood talking about this with emma watson which is strange mm-hmm. yes emma watson very much a feminist yeah, yes reading it it was just really entertaining you should you know look it up i don't don't know if i can find it quickly enough online but on the very back, there was an ad for Gilead, which apparently <laughs> is, like, someplace to test for, like, STDs and all. But I'm like, okay, that was just weird. 
That is weird. Oh, wow. There's a place called Gilead that tests for STDs. I just had to put that out there. It was weird. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought it was going to be one of those, like, umbrella corporations, like, fake ads. But I'm like, oh, I think this is real. Wow. So, All right. You know how to find me. Jennifer, tell them where they can find you. I am over at the Hollow Nine Network. I am on a variety of podcasts over there. Um, our website is hollow9.com, and we spell it kind of weird because we're kind of weird. Um, so it's hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, all one word, dot com. You can find me on Twitter. I am Jennifer Nine, spelled the same way that we spell Hollow Nine, all one word. And then I am Jennifer at hollow9.com for email. All right, so folks, we do hope you're enjoying this. Please rate and review us. That helps out a lot. Uh, and for this episode of Fangirl Zone, I am Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Jennifer. And until next time.